Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from John 2, 12 through 22. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to John in your Bible. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they remained there a few days. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for forty-six years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Thank you, Sam. That is the, uh, the word of the Lord for us today. Well, uh, not too long after, and uh, it was a nice little house in a nice little, nice little neighborhood, and it, had, it needed some things. Well, most houses do when you move into them. It had, it had these ceiling fans that, um, well, they were terrible. They were like that gold kind of thing. The, the previous owner was a rather old lady, and so old lady fan. No offense. I'm just getting you back. That's all it is. You started it. Uh huh. It does. It does. Thou shalt not lie. Anyway, so we 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 decided that we were going to change out these fans. They didn't. They weren't great, and we wanted something a little bit better. And so we we went to the store and we picked out a fan, and on the box it said "quick and easy installation." 15 minutes. And I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. 15 minutes. And so we uh, went down and, and shut off some of the power. That was a whole thing in itself because they had just replaced, before we bought the house, they just replaced the electrical box and didn't label anything. And so um, we're flipping things off. And finally we get, uh, and, and it didn't make sense the way it was all put together anyway, we, we get the section of the kitchen off. And I don't know, this might have been after lunch, so maybe like 1 o'clock. Do you remember? Something like that. And so I start putting up this fan, and I know some of you are like super awesome and can do electrical work without turning electricity off, but I I like to live, and so I didn't. And uh, and so we put up this fan, and it's going fairly well. We got the the body of it up, the, the blades are on, and all it needs now is like the light kit. Little part there. And so I grabbed this piece and we're putting it in. And, and for the life of me, I could not get it to go. 
it just, it just went, I tried every way imaginable to try to get it fit up there. And I was like, dinner time came around. And I was just, I was done. I was ready to call the number on the box and tell them things that I thought about them and their product and the quick and easy installation. And so I think we had dinner and it was beginning to get dark. And, you know, like we're running out of light and there's no electricity in this part of the kitchen. And we just, I, I don't know. And I, don't, I think Lori might have said to me, what would happen if you turned it over? And, and so I took this little piece that I had been trying to fit into the fan for six hours. Maybe four. And I, f- <laughs> and I flipped it over. I flipped it over. And do you know what happened when I flipped that little piece over? It fit. It went up in there, and we were able to put it all together and turn the electric- electricity on. And as far as I know, that fan is still attached to the ceiling uh, 10 years later. Now, uh, hindsight, right? Hindsight is, is a really great thing. Let, well, that's how, that's how it is now. She reads the instructions and tells me what to do, and I, I do it. That's, that's, that's how we roll. Uh, my, my dad, God bless him, didn't pass on any of his ability to me in that regard. Sorry, Nate. Um, and, and I don't know, I hadn't, I hadn't stumbled upon YouTube and the magic that that is in helping to, to fix things. Uh, but hindsight is, well, as the saying goes, it's 2020, right? Uh, you have the, the wisdom of being able to look back on certain experiences and, and, and understand them and review them in the light of other things. And, and so that experience became really, really helpful every time that I tried to undertake any other home improvement project. I know now to try it from absolutely every angle, even the one that doesn't seem like it would work. And it's usually the most obvious one uh, that fixes things. So, so hindsight is, is really, really good. And, and I'm sure that you all have stories of, of things that you have learned uh, from doing something in the, in the past that has made another task uh, better or You've learned from an experience that has given you wisdom for the future in the current, the current moment and has helped you navigate life uh, in a smoother, more better way, more better, uh, what better way uh, going forward. Well, that's, that's kind of where the disciples are at in, in this particular moment in our, in our story. Uh, the disciples understand, they, be, they only really understand what this whole episode is about with Jesus in the temple turning tables over and with the whip. Uh, they only understand that in the light of, well, in a couple of things. And, we, and we'll flesh this out as we get there. We've, uh, we've transitioned to the Gospel of John. We've been kind of in Acts and the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be in the Gospel of John for the next couple of weeks. Um, so we're early on. And Jesus has just begun his ministry. This is uh, just a short while after he goes to a wedding with his mother and some of his friends, and the wine runs out, and he turns all this wine or all this water into really good wine. And he's he's moving on for that. He's he may be getting a little bit of attention, although he hasn't made his full entrance, I think, onto the scene uh, and caused as much trouble as he will end up causing. But he's, they come to Jerusalem, Jesus and his followers, they come to Jerusalem for 
the Passover, to celebrate the Passover. Uh, Just remember what the Passover is. It celebrates Israel's most defining moment, uh, God's deliverance of them from slavery in Egypt. Uh, The Israelite people had been enslaved in Egypt for like 430-some years, and and things were bad, and, and God sent them Moses, heard the cry, and sent them Moses, and Moses, you know, the whole ten plagues, and the very last one where the angel of death came and, and passed over God's people. And Israel was what was able to, to get up hurriedly and to march out of Egypt and cross the Red Sea on dry land uh, and to make it eventually to the promised land. It's a whole journey. So they would have gone, uh, they would have gone, a lot of people would have gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover every year, uh, especially if you have a little bit of means. In fact, you kind of were supposed to go and go to the temple and to offer sacrifices because this was a significant day. Uh, almost more than any other day in Jewish history, this is what defined them as God's people. And so lots of people would have made this journey. Jesus goes to the temple. Uh, lots of people would have made the journey, but, but if they would have made a journey, it would have been really far. And you were supposed to offer specific sacrifices and if you had come from a really long way, maybe it wasn't always feasible to bring, the, you know, the cow or the sheep or even the doves that you were supposed to offer and sacrifice at the temple. So you needed to buy them there. And so there needed to be a place for, uh, for people, for pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem to purchase the appropriate sacrifices. Well, and if you come from maybe a foreign land, because by this point in history, the Jewish people had begun to well, they'd been spread all over the known world, and some of them would have come from very distant places, and, and maybe the only currency that they had had someone's head stamped on it, had a, had a ruler, an emperor, a king, someone's likeness on it. Well, for the Jewish people, that, that counted as uh, an idol, as a graven image, and, and so it wasn't appropriate to take money that had someone's image on it well, uh, another layer of that is, is most of the kings and emperors saw themselves as, as gods. And you had to worship them if, well, you were part of the country or whatever. So in a very real way, they were paying for things in the temple with, uh, with idols, money that had, had stamped on it. And so they needed a place not only to buy the, the, the sacrifices that they had, but they needed a place to be able to change out their money so that they could use the appropriate money to buy it that could be used in the temple. Because some of those proceeds would have ended up going to uh, the, the temple treasury and would have been used for upkeep and, and those things like that. And so it's not, it's not a bad thing that these people have gathered together and that local merchants are selling things to help people offer the sacrifices that they want, they need to offer. It's not even necessarily a bad thing that there are money changers hanging out in the temple who are, yeah, they might be making a buck or two, but who are transferring uh, currency from foreign currency to ones that is appropriate for use in the temple. So this, this begs the question then, why does Jesus go nuts on, on these merchants and on these money changers? Uh, why does he flip over tables and, like, uh, this is the image that I've had in my, my head all week. He goes b- Bobby Knight on, uh, on the merchants in, in, the, in the temple, right? Bobby Knight, famous basketball coach. There's that one scene where he throws a chair across the basketball court. Um, that's how I envision Je- Jesus at this particular moment. He is Bobby Knight mad. And, 
and uh, it's not because necessarily that they've made this into a consumeristic thing. I, I think maybe a little a little diagram will help us because this is good. This is the temple, and uh, that's kind of a 3D rendering of what it might look like. This is Herod's temple. Um, it had been destroyed after the exile and, and rebuilt, and as we heard in the passage, it had been under construction for 46 years. Uh, some of you have been involved in construction stuff, and, and thankfully it's not been that long, right? Uh, uh, but this left, this, this left one, though, is um, kind of an aerial view, and, and it's kind of hard to see, but there are different courts within the temple. And, and right here we have what would have been called the Court of the Gentiles, kind of this area right here. And then you would have had the, the Court of Women, which is, sorry, ladies, you got, you're, ladies, you're better than the Gentiles. Uh, but not quite as great as the men. Uh, and so th- this is where the women would have come and, and worshipped and done their things. And this is where the men would have, would have gathered. And uh, right in here is the Holy of Holies, where only the priest would have gone once a year to offer sacrifice. Um, and so it's really, really likely that all of this was happening in this particular area, the court of the Gentiles. Now, I think it's really helpful to, to remember kind of way back in Genesis what God tells Abraham and Sarah before they are Abraham and Sarah. One of the promises God makes to Abraham and Sarah is that you are going to have a baby and I'm going to make your descendants great and numerous as, as many as the stars in the sky and it is through your descendants that I am going to bless the entire world. Through your descendants, salvation is going to come Wholeness and restoration is going to come through your people. And, and so in a very real way, this court of the Gentiles represents God's salvation. Uh, coming not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And, and so I think Jesus looks at this and, and he's really he's the embodiment of God's blessing to the entire world at this particular moment. And so if anybody has a right to be angry about people uh, using that particular area that's keeping all the, the people of the world from coming and offering worship uh, to the God of the universe, I think it's Jesus. So I think that's why Jesus ends up doing what he does. And he's hoping, he's hoping to kind of clean things out, uh, to make the space open and available for the Gentiles who have come to worship worship God. Well, um, it's interesting. Uh, the pushback that he gets, he doesn't get from the merchants. At least that's not what we hear. I, I imagine that if you are uh, changing out money, that maybe you're a little miffed that your coinage has been flung all over the place. And maybe you're not because you're scrambling to pick up someone else's. Uh, maybe that's good for you. Or maybe you're, you're mad that your, your, all your doves have flown away or your sheep has wandered off. Uh, but nobody, and nobody gives any pushback for that. And, and I, wonder, I wonder if the people understood maybe why Jesus was mad. Uh, maybe they understood, yeah, yeah, this is, this is part of God's gift to the entire world. The people who are mad, though, are uh, the Jewish relig- religious um, Well, this is what Jesus says. Get behind myself. He told those, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Well, uh, the religious leaders show up and they're like, what sign can you do 
uh, can you perform, do for us to, to kind of validate your ability to take this disciplinary action? Uh, one of the things we have to understand is that uh, religious leaders like prophets and things like that, Moses and Samuel and Elijah and Elisha, well, they, they all had their authority validated by the, the miracles that God did through them. Uh, think about it, Moses parts the Red Sea. Like, that's a pretty big thing. Um, God's working through this person. He, we might should listen to what he says. And so they're coming, they're coming to Jesus, and they don't really know him just yet. They're like, what in the world are you going to do to prove to us that you have the authority to take this kind of action? And, and I don't think that they're expecting what Jesus ends up saying. He says, destroy this temple in three days, I will rise it up. Uh, now they were thinking, uh, wait, this doesn't make any sense. Like this temple has been destroyed once and we've been rebuilding it for like 46 years. Uh, and it's not quite done yet. And you, you, you singular, are going to destroy it and take only three days uh, to build it back up. But that's not what he was talking about at all. He wasn't talking about the, the temple in you know, in the diagram we watched, he was talking about, well, his body. He's kind of prefiguring for us his death and his resurrection. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ will be all of the sign that anyone needs to see to know that God is working through Jesus. Uh, A little bit later, towards the end, John tells us, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed that the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. I think, I think what John is doing for us at this early stage of the Gospel of John is he's helping us to understand the journey of faith that the disciples are going on so that they can understand what Jesus is doing. I think the story is less about Jesus clearing out the temple and it's more about how the disciples have come to understand and truly believe in what Jesus is doing. It's hindsight. Uh, they, it wasn't until after the death and resurrection that they were able to look back and see, oh yeah, I, I remember in this psalm, in this psalm that says that he's going to be consumed with zeal for his house, Psalm 69. I remember him saying that, that he was going to tear down this temple and it was going to raise up after three days. He really knew. He knew what was going to happen. Uh, one of the commentators that I read on this said there's kind of three things. Uh, three, I don't know what you call them, but three ways in which the disciples ended up coming to, well, to fully understand what Jesus was doing. One, it's like they believed the scriptures. It, it, it says that kind of in, in the passage. Now, from the very beginning, the New Testament church, those at the very beginning, they read their scriptures. Uh, what they understood that Jesus was doing, what the disciples understood that what Jesus was doing was fully in line with what God had been doing from the very beginning. That what Jesus was doing, the salvation that he was bringing, the wholeness, the healing that he was bringing, was not something completely new and off track. But that it was a continuation of 
what God did for Israel through the Exodus. Uh, that in fact, that, that Jesus' death and his resurrection is in of itself a little bit of Exodus. I don't think it's any, it's any coincidence that this particular story happens during the Passover. And it will not be any coincidence that Jesus' death and his resurrection happens during the Passover. Now, the, the church from the early on struggled with the Old Testament. And I have a lot of thoughts about that because they, they ended up thinking that, that the God portrayed in the Old Testament was maybe different than the God revealed in Jesus Christ. Or that in the Old Testament, God is angry and vengeful. And certainly, if you read it in a certain way, it does seem like that. Uh, and there were, full, there were movements within the early church that wanted to, to get rid of the Old Testament altogether and un, only look at the New Testament. But the early disciples, the early church understood that what Jesus was doing was a continuation of things that God had done. And they knew that they could only understand what Jesus was doing if they understood what God had been doing in the Old Testament. Uh, My Old Testament professor in college, he was fond of saying this, we study the Old Testament so that we can understand the New Testament. What Jesus does doesn't make any sense without Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, without judges and the prophets. So they believed the scriptures. Uh, Second, they read the scriptures with a sense of hindsight. Uh, Not only did they believe those, but they, they, they read them through, if you will, like the lens of Jesus. They read the, and understood everything that was happening through the Old Testament through the words and deeds of Jesus. Uh, because they began to understand that Jesus Christ was the very best and fullest representation of who God is and what God has come to do. They understood that, that all of the things that had happened in the Old Testament were leading up to God becoming one of us and giving himself in sacrifice for us. Uh, but that, that all of that sacrifice was validated because of the resurrection. Third, and this one's really wordy, and I changed it up after I wrote it down. So we'll do this one, so you can ignore that one. Not only did they believe the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, not only did they read the Old Testament scriptures with a sense of hindsight and and use Jesus as the lens through which they understood all of it. But they did so in a sense of community. That they gathered together and they, they looked at Jesus' life and everything that he had done together. And that they studied the Old Testament together. And they submitted themselves to one another in their reading of scripture and they submitted themselves to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And they took that reading, took the Old Testament, because they don't have the New Testament just yet. And they looked at it, and they prayed. And as a community, they decided, this is what it means for us now, here and now, to be faithful followers of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of King David, Samuel, and Elijah, all of these people have gone before. 
I think these are important things for us. I think, and I preach enough from the Old Testament, I think. I haven't counted it out just yet. But it's important for us to read and believe the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, as difficult as parts of it may be. It's important that as we gather together, we read those things through the lens of Jesus Christ. Asking us, asking ourselves, how does this make sense in the light of who Christ is? And we have to do it together as a community that confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord in submission to one another and the Holy Spirit. I think I've said this enough times, but I think it's worth repeating. I am not the only one that can read the Bible for us. Yeah, I really like it. I really like doing it. But I need you, and you need me, and you need the people who are sitting beside to read Scripture so we might understand, so we might take what we read, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament too, and we might run it through what Jesus looks like and then be able to say, what does it mean for us to be God's people here and now? Who is God calling us to be here and now? Now, there's a really good chance that maybe it doesn't look like what we think it looks like. Uh, Because we'll read in a couple of weeks as we get through some of the book of Acts that Jesus' followers get in a lot of trouble because they're following the Holy Spirit, which is calling them to be a little bit different than what the established religious people want them to be like. I I think I've been saying this a lot, and it just seems to be what's coming out of of the Bible for me, is that we have to figure out what God wants us to do. And the only way we can do that is together. As we read scripture, as we believe it, as we filter it through the lens of Jesus Christ, as we submit ourselves to one another and to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're going we're gonna to receive the Lord's Supper here in a second. Remember and believe. It's kind of what I titled this. Uh, this meal that we're going to have, like, it is the ultimate meal of remembering. Uh, because it, it is Jesus taking that Passover meal, looking at it in hindsight, and reinterpreting, reinterpreting it, and offering himself as the lamb that was sacrificed in place of the one that happened in the Exodus. In this meal, Jesus is calling us to remember, to read all of the scriptures through his filter, to say, this is, this is who I am, this is who God is, and this is who I am calling you to be, a people who give yourselves selflessly for the sake of the world around you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for, well, sticking with us. Uh, we're slow sometimes, like your disciples were slow in understanding. All throughout the Gospels, it seems like they just don't get it yet, and they, and they don't. But thank you for the gift of hindsight. 
Thank you for allowing us to, to be able to look back. For us, it's a long way farther than it was for the disciples. But to look back over what you have done, both in the Old and in the New Testament, and even now in our own time, to look back and to see what you have done. And then in the light of that, and in the light of who you are, ask ourselves who it is that we should be as your people and what it is that we should do. So Lord, we ask today that you would help us to remember and to believe. You would grant us the hindsight that we need and then the courage to go and do whatever it is that you're wanting us to do. Lord, as we come to this meal, the one that you've instructed us to receive, we ask that in this moment that we would, that we would be able to submit to you the guidance of the Holy Spirit, uh, that we would be able to submit to other, one another and, and helping each other to read and understand what you're saying through the Old and New Testament. Lord, guide us as we as we do this. We give ourselves to you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.